sorry, Bulls. The Bulls <laughs> obviously had an interesting season. And with, with us really recording this here at 670 to score, um, it's been a it's been a nice little minute since we had a legit Bulls discussion talk. So That's Chris, true. just give us your thoughts on obviously the end of a disastrous season. And just talk about what the what you think the Bulls should really do moving forward. Well, in in terms of a season like this, when I a lot of people I think at the beginning of the season thought the Bulls were going to be playing for something more than a draft pick, and I never saw it that way. Even before the five and nineteen start and the Hoiberg firing, I never thought that the Bulls were going to be doing any more than trying to get player development in and see who else they could get in the draft, especially with all the guys from Duke coming in. So in a season like that, you have to look for the bright spots. So the bright spots were Laurie Markkinen's rise after the All-Star break when he put on that clinic in February through early March before, uh, before his injury took him out of the action. That was great to see. Not only was he shooting at a great clip, he was rebounding well. He showed a tenacity for getting those rebounds, not just the free rebounds that come after the offense breaks down the floor, rebounds in traffic. That's a that was a nice spot. The Walt personally for me, Walt Lemon coming in as a Bradley grad was a nice spot. Just just to him getting some run on the team, him signing a contract. I've always thought his game was well suited to the NBA, and the fact that he got to play not only for an NBA team again, but his hometown NBA team as a Julian grad as he is was really gratifying to see. The play of Shaq Harrison was a diamond in the rough for the Bulls as well. When he came in early in the season after they picked him up off waivers from the Suns, I noticed that he was getting a lot of steals and had a really great steal percentage. It was a really small sample size. But I was thinking if that could translate, they could play him in a a role where he can play some multiple positions and guard on the perimeter, which is such a necessary skill and asset for NBA teams to have. You have to be able to guard well on ball on the perimeter. So Shaq Harrison's play, and he kept that defensive acumen up the whole season to the point where he was a rotational player. Him, guys like Ryan Archie Diakono, who wouldn't have stuck around on maybe 10 or 11 other teams, even as the Bulls only won 22 games, these were guys who were playing well and were necessary. So those were the bright spots. And the fact that you're not looking for the Bulls to win 30 games. Shout out to my man Adam House Housito, who I'm, I might have lost money to. If he said the Bulls were going to win 20 games, I owed him 20 bucks. I think he said 25, so I might be in the clear. But you're not looking for the Bulls to do that. You're looking for player development. You're looking for guys to come out of nowhere and either play themselves into a, into a rotation spot or maybe something where they can get a deal with someone, some other team. But in terms of that, it, I don't think it was an awful season. The, and especially the way that they rebounded from the coaching change, I don't think it was an awful season for them. Interesting probably is the best word. Okay. I hear that. I hear that. Because guess what? They sucked. All right. I'm not even going to go. I'm not even going to go that far and just say, oh, they had, a, they had an interesting season. No, the Bulls sucked all year long. I can't help it. Chris Dunn has been inconsistent all season long. I don't even think he should be even come back next year because at the fourth, if you're trying to do a rebuild, that's not the guy that you want to be yeah, as one of your faces of the franchise. Nothing against him. The brother's cool. Shout out to Tony Gill who just walked into the building, executive producer of um, No Zones Podcast and producer at here at 670 The Score. Also, Bulls. We got you know we got to give him the Bulls reporter tag because you know he has been covering the Bulls all season. Argo High School legend Tony Gill and man. high school <laughs> Argo High School on top of that man. The, Dudes doing big things. Oh, my bad. Oh, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) So we got to give him a nice love and shout out. He's joining the discussion as well. So shout out to Tony Gill. Um, But unfortunately, the Bulls Bulls season for me was a disaster. And the reason why is because what are we doing? That's the question mark of what, what are we doing? Can we even consider this really a rebuild? Because of the fact that you're investing, you're investing in players that unfortunately can't produce. And with this knack of production, the fiasco, the way they handled the Fred Horvath, Jim Boylan entrance was a disaster. And then, you don't even, technically, we don't even knew halfway through the season, he couldn't even get along with the players. Now that finally somehow switched around, thanks to, uh, you know, infamous. I don't even want to call it student board, oh, as the, we would say. The as mutiny? we could say, the mute, yeah, the exec board, yeah, yeah. executive board, <laughs> led by a guy that they traded. 
<laughs> and Bobby Portis <laughs> just to get the uh, just to get the acceptance of the coach. And then obviously it's Gar Gar Pax. That's the big thing. I don't I don't want to I don't want to cut you. I don't mean to cut you off, Josh. Mm-hmm. That's the really the big thing going forward that is still going to be troubling the Bulls fans and probably Bulls um, insiders alike. Gar Pax at the top. We know that they can draft well. When the team drafts Jimmy Butler, they draft guys like Bobby Portis. They know what they they know what they're doing in terms of player scouting. That remains to be seen who they'll what spot they'll get in the lottery and who they'll get. All the reports were that Gar was at a lot of Murray State games, so you know they were looking hard at John Morant. But outside of that, in terms of investing in players who who aren't producing, I just said like Laurie Marketing had a really really good season. This was the season that they were looking for him to break out, and he turned a lot of heads. Even trading for Otto Porter, as onerous as his contract is, he made the Bulls a better team. Yeah, definitely. Those two games against Atlanta, Otto Porter was the guy down the stretch keeping them in the game and making big shots. Free throws with no time on the clock, a three when they needed a three or else. Those are the guys you need around you. Chris Dunn for sure. Chris Dunn experiment hasn't really worked out. And it's, it's, a, it's a shame for him. They're probably going to let him go, and he'll be on his third team in four or five years. But otherwise... The guys they have around them, Levine, marketing those Carter when he comes back healthy, those guys who are going to be part of the core rotation, I think they've got a good thing going forward. Now, back to guard packs, that's what you're really concerned about. Even if Boylan isn't the guy who's going to take you to the, to, to the top, which I don't think he is, the players seem to get on his side as they went down. That game where he got tossed out with him and Doc Rivers, he was going out and giving out high fives, but the players were giving him back. They weren't brushing him off. Levine offered to pay his fine after that game. And that's the dude who we thought was the guy who really didn't want him around, Zach Levine. Mm-hmm. And to, so to go from that, and I've been saying it to my guys in my Facebook chat for months, to go from that to offering to pay $5,000 for this dude, you don't hate that dude. It's not a dude that you just tolerate. That's a dude that you actually like having around. So the dude, the two guys at the top who make the big decisions, if if, if they can get their heads on straight, and do things right in terms of transactions and not meddling in the team. And you see my hesitation. That's the only thing that we have to worry about, but it's such a big thing because we've seen it for so many years. Otherwise, I, I would say the Bulls are in a good spot. This draft is going to mean a lot. Oh, yeah, I think they're, they're in a spot to do something. They can at least be competitive. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm just going to point this out briefly. I, I am a Bulls supporter. Understand, I've always grown up as a huge Bulls fan, and I don't hate the Bulls. But the reality is reality. Gar, I don't trust Gar Pax. I don't either. Gar Pax, for years, ever since they've been here, hasn't had a full team that actually gone deep into a playoff type of tenure or run since Derrick Rose. Yeah, since 2011. And even and even outside of that, they got rid of a coach that kept us stable in Tom Thibodeau because of. Whatever power disagreements, fine. You're going to have some of that. But since then, never fully recovered, never fully committed to an actual rebuild, a.k.a. the three alphas, Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, and Rajon Rondo. And now you're going to go and say, oh, well, since we're not in a position really to succeed and get a full big-time free agent, uh, we'll just get lucky in the draft like we did with Derrick Rose and – We'll just bring in some big veteran guys to bring the toughness side of bring, make us tougher, make us tougher. Don't that sound familiar to uh, what uh, Matthew Johnson just did? And look what the Lakers just had the fiasco with the. With I that? mean, we're gonna get into that. That's a, that might be a special case. Exactly. <laughs> so, I don't trust Garpacks. And yes, there are like you said. I like what I like what we done with Laurie marketing. I love what we done with him. I love the progression of Zach. Zach has truly grown into that go-to star for the Bulls. And, yes, I hated the auto porter trade because if you thought you had a chance of free agency, why not go all in? But you had to cap up. But for us to get the deal that we got and for him to play the way he's playing, I like the deal now. All right? Things change. But if you don't change the top, you ain't going to change your product. And, quite frankly, that's the reality that we live in as, as Bulls fans and as Bulls insiders trying to give announcements on the Bulls. If you if Gar Paxton is, is is still here for a long term, which obviously Bronsdorf has no problem with, then what as Bulls fans are we really and Bulls fans and insiders really supposed to expect from a success standpoint? What is the definition of success? I think 
I think what I said before, competitiveness, I think is their is their definition of success. And it's not necessarily competitiveness in, in terms of a deep playoff run. Are they going to play hard and play well on any given night? Can they make the playoffs? Can they hold their own in the playoffs? Not necessarily are they going to be top tier in the playoffs. They would have to prove they'd have to prove that. They'd have to prove me wrong on that to for me to for me to trust them again. Because Derrick Rose was such a was playing at such a high level with the players around him playing so inspired and with the coach instilling such a tenacity in them that those Bulls were set up to challenge the teams that they did, challenge the Heat, who were the class of the league at that time. But now, if if competitiveness puts fans in the seats, then they'll be good with that. And that's not enough for us. You, that's not enough for you. I know that's not enough for me. That's not enough for, for any of us. But I don't know if and I don't know if success goes beyond that for them. I, I could def, I could definitely agree with that. Speaking of uh, Derrick Rose, he's going to be a free agent this offseason. And I expect him to get a big payday. Uh, just because of the fact it may not be obviously a max deal. But I think he can get at least a good 18 to $20 million a year contract. For what? For, just because of the fact that from a story perspective, come, bouncing from team to team, no one really trusting that he can get back to a decent level of play that Derrick Rose can play at, and then this year proving that he still has it, being one of the top six men that come off the bench, still averaging 20-plus points, almost 20 points a game, and on top of that, shooting over 40% for majority of the season from three. That's an improvement that, coming up, coming um, from drafting him, basically, you didn't expect. No. So because of that, as long as he continues to continue improvements, try to at least stay healthy and play a decent amount of games without being hurt, he can get that 18 to $20 million range. But, obviously, according to a recent report in an interview that B.J. Armstrong did with the great, infamous 670 to score, which we are recording right now from, he said if the Bulls call, he'll listen. So do you guys suspect that the Bulls really should go after him and bring and make this reunion possible. No. Me? I, 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 <laughs> my man, Ryan. Run your, run your <laughs> my, man, my man. But I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm kind of torn. I'm torn with it. And this is why. From an overall champ standpoint, I think Derrick Rose deserves to be on a team that can compete for a title. I do. I, I, I think he has – I think he can bring something to the table for a championship caliber type of team to at least help them get over the hump in some way, shape, or form. He doesn't have to be the D-Rose of old, but he could be the revamped D-Rose that he is from a consistency standpoint to get in a, in a point guard realm coming off the bench to get you to that next level. And I think he can actually – and I, think, I really do think he can be that for some, some of these potential playoff teams, especially with the playoff teams that are improving and thriving and growing into the playoffs, which we will eventually get to later. Mm-hmm. But Chicago doesn't deserve him. I feel like they don't deserve him because the way we treated him throughout his tenure here, even though we loved him, it was a love-hate relationship. And I feel like we highlighted more of the negative aspect because he can't stay healthy. You paid a man all this money, he couldn't stay healthy. When, quite frankly, at the time, we wouldn't be having that conversation if he stayed healthy. As a matter of fact, we may be trying to make him a lifetime bull, and we may even be talking about possible conversation of playoff talk right now. They may be playing today. So I don't think we deserve a Derrick Rose. And even though he would be a great mentor to the young team that we have, because he's talked about growing into that mentorship role, I don't think he needs to be – I don't think he, sh- he deserves to be back into a, a franchise that hasn't grown and matured to move on in the level that they, need, that they need to be for him to actually be able to thrive here. So that being said, you know, Chris being a guy that covers the Bulls, and obviously I want Sid and Ryan's input on this as well, what do you guys think about this idea of a possible reunion? As a fan, I want to see it, but in reality, like you just mentioned, Josh, I don't think all wounds have healed. I know the old saying goes, "Time heals all wounds," but I don't know if the heals all heals are are all wounds are healed from the Rose camp and the Bulls camp. It, it might sound good in front of the media, but do we really know that everything is cool? We don't know, and like you said before, uh, he. If he's on this team next year, he'll be a mentor to the guys that may or may not be here down the road if you and when you decide to become championship contenders. He needs to be on a playoff team that will 
that will expose his skills to with better players. Now, when he was here the first time, he was the man here. He's not going to be the man here if he decides to come back home. I don't think it's a great idea to come back home because, let's be honest, he's more mature now. It seems like he's more mature off the court as well. But if you're Derrick Rose, like, do you really want to uh, go through something close to that again like you were when you were here the first time? I I, I don't know. It, obviously, it's different circumstances because where the franchise is right now, but I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, I don't think it's a good idea either. I don't think he's a fit, really, for what the Bulls are trying to do right mm-hmm. now. I mean, he's not a pass-first point guard. He is a shoot-first point guard. He can only give you X amount of minutes per game. He can't give you a full game being a starter. You want him coming off the bench. And on top of it, too, can he come into Chicago and not be an alpha? Can he not expect to be an alpha in his hometown? I I don't like the mix. I don't know if that would mix with Jim Boylan, who is just starting up his tenure. So, me, I would be completely hands-off on Derrick Rose if I was the Bulls. Well, and the thing about – wounds healing with the with the Bulls camp and and with Rose and his um his people like literally his people you remember the whole thing around that time not only with Derek's injury but when Luol Deng was hurt and how badly the Bulls medical staff screwed that whole thing up where he was on like a sick bed where mm-hmm. he was very very close to having serious serious injuries long term because they they mistakenly did a lumbar puncture Bulls medical staff has a bad history with players. And with not only the way that the media, which was talked about in the the documentary, the Pooh documentary that just came out, with the way that the media and with the way that Bulls fans um, soured on him as time went on, and not all of that was on them. Some of it was on what came out from Derek's camp and from Derek himself about when he was going to be ready to play the whole year after the ACL injury. But... Would you want to come back to that, not only knowing a team that you were there with, with one of the best players, how badly they screwed up with his injury, how how things went with your injury, and how things went with the fans? There's there's something to be said for Chicago, and how tightly we held to him, as a person and as a player. Like everybody felt like they were Derek's friend, Derek's Derek's cousin. Like that, I, I've had like a very tangential. Um, relationship. I'm not. A, I'm an East Side guy, but I knew Kessler they played with him. I knew Kessler went to Beasley, and just being in Peoria, I was stunting hard for Rose. It's a Chicago thing now. I think that after after you lose play, you lose people in the past, like Lou Rawls and Nat King Cole, and you just kind of let them go and diss them on their way out. Chicagoans want to hold on to their heroes, but when they felt like their heroes failed them, it was like when a family member fails you, and you're kind of harder on them than than you would be for somebody else. And so that's what made it so deep in my estimation. And so for him, not only to come back with the with the physical difficulties, remembering those things with the medical staff, but just those emotional things that, I don't know. I think as a fit, he could work off the bench in, in just in terms of basketball. I think he could work off the bench if they needed him to start his couple games. He could do that. But I don't know if it would work long term. Uh, Tony, I want your input on this because you covered the Bulls this season and you've got a real uh, feel for what it's like to be around Jim Boylan. As a matter of fact, you're probably one of his number one fans now with him calling you Tone. Oh, Tone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have a nice, so it seems to say you have a nice rapport with the guy. That being mm-hmm. said, um, talk about the I, if Derrick Rose was to even consider coming back to Chicago. What do you think, in your opinion, would be the ideal, would it be an ideal fit for him? How would he adjust to Jim Boylan's coaching style, his coaching, uh, his play, and what do you think it would be a really good mix, or would it be a disaster? Um, would it be a disaster? I I think that it depends on what's said up front. Um, if they want to talk to him, I think it has to be laid out on exactly what they expect from Rose and what Rose what Derek's expectations are for the basically the remainder of his career. Um, they didn't do that with uh, Jabari. They weren't really completely honest on how they wanted to use him. That's an issue. And it's not like Jabari and Derek don't talk. They talk a lot. Uh, so if Jabari felt a certain way about this franchise and how he was treated, 
certainly Derek is going to kind of have some some sentiments considering how he left and what just recently happened to Jabari. Um, so if this were to happen, everybody needs to be completely honest on what they want and what's expected. Um, as of right now, we don't know who the uh, the Bulls will have in the draft, so it's kind of kind of short lived this conversation maybe um, because they could get John Morant and that changes everything. True, but excluding that, if it's just Rose and Dunn. You have to start Rose. <laughs> like there's not even it's not even a question. He's a better player than Chris Dunn, and Chris Dunn has yet to develop yet. Um, and that that's an issue for Chris Dunn and the Bulls because he was supposed to be one of the core guys, and now he's not looking like he's going to be here for the long term. So, in terms of mentorship, it's not really. Would you want him to mentor a guy that's probably not going to be here anyway, and you don't really see? Um, him staying here again. It, it, this whole, their roster construction is going to matter if they want to talk to Derrick Rose, uh, because you don't know who's your starting point guard yet. Derrick knew knew his role in Minnesota. You're going to come off the bench. Jeff Teague is our starter, and he was fine with that. I think he's he's fine. He got his minutes. He had his highlights, stuff like that. I think he grown to like that. But if the better player. And I think Jeff T, just as a basketball player in terms of what the Wolves needed, was better fit starting than Rose was. So I think everything fit there. Uh, but here, you're looking at Chris Dunn, and Rose is like, I mean, I'm cool coming off the bench, but for Chris Dunn? <laughs> I mean, so it, it, to avoid all of that, I don't want Rose here. I think there's greener pastures else, elsewhere. But, yeah, but, but for here, is this too much stuff going on? that the Bulls need to work out amongst themselves. And it would be a nice story to have Derek back here, but I don't think he should come back here. And it's and it's fine. It should be okay from all sides. It's okay. Right. He, he had his time here, in, in, you know, in the light. It ended. It didn't grow well. Maybe at the very, very end of his career, they can he can come back, maybe sign a one-year or one-day or whatever, and retire as a Bull. That would be cool. But as of right now, he's still playing basketball and still effective at playing pro basketball. I wouldn't want him here, and I don't think it would be the best of fits if he came back. Derrick Rose, if you're listening to us, please do not even answer the phone. <laughs> do not even answer the phone. That being said, let's transition to the draft because obviously the Bulls need help at point guard. And with Chris Dunn not being that guy, we have a slight chance, just a slight chance of getting the top two pick in this draft lottery. Right now they got, according to the draft lottery, we have – Basically, the best odds to be at a, at the fourth seed. Number four seed. Number four, number four seed. Pick. And that being said, if that's the case, and we do get number four, John Moran ain't on our roster. That dude gone. He's going to be gone within the first two picks. So, from a bull standpoint, if we do land at four, which I'm praying we don't, I pray, we get, I pray to actually get top two so that way we can actually get either Zion or John Moran. But more importantly, John Morant. Well, make sure you do your job when you go to that draft lottery selection. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, can't, yeah, yeah, definitely. The, uh, Get us that number one pick, Josh. Yeah, I'm, hey, I'm going to do my best. Running, running with Warriors in the process of, possi- of possibly getting into the NBA draft. So if you get in the NBA draft, we'll definitely let you guys know, and you'll get some more live reporting from the NBA draft itself, draft lottery itself. With that being said, man, if the Bulls get the fourth pick, if I was them, I would either consider trading or do I dare use it just to get a guard in general? Because because let's let's be honest, let's be honest. John Moran's the only point guard that we should ever want and need within this draft. To me, I don't see outside of John Morant and for what the Bulls can do and need to do from an offensive standpoint, he's the only one that provides all of that. From a franchise, he's a franchise sending player. So, if the Bulls can't get that, I don't really see anybody else from a point guard standpoint that can take those same reins and bring that be that much more effective. So, according to this mock draft, they having the big man of Gonzaga, uh, Rui Hachimura, which I mean the brother's good, <laughs> the brother got game, but we already got enough big men. 
Wendell Carter still here. We got Laurie. Ten and so we got we got big men. And who knows if we bring Robin Lopez back? If we bring Robin Lopez back, he's our he's our other center. We already got enough big men on the roster. We need guard help, more specifically point guard help. So in the draft, do they literally try to draft to their need? As far as if John Moran isn't open, you go after a Kobe White. Do you go after a Cassius Winston Mm-mm. if he's in the draft? Do you go after um, maybe uh, Carson Edwards, who's technically a point guard? Do you go for, Do you go for these other type of point guards that may make some noise in the league, but not as much as a John Moran and what we would be looking for? Or do you go best? Do you go best available, which would be at the according to this draft maybe a Jerick over maybe a Rui Hachimura the big man from Gonzaga what about the Vanderbilt guard the Vanderbilt guard oh, even um, though he didn't play this season yeah. due to injury he's Darius a point Garland. guard right yeah. Garland yeah Garland yeah you got him too so or the third option is what we or would you consider trading the pick and trying to get something you got to have returning. somebody to trade with you though too that's the thing right mm-hmm. that's exactly the thing so what should the bulls do with this draft, well, especially and and, and need to remind you, this is if that they're, if this is if they are the number fourth pick in the draft, like this is not if they're top two because obviously top two we get we have the chance to get who the guy we want, but from a top four standpoint, if you're number four, and even if we get number three, who what do you think the guys what what, what do you think the Bulls should do? Because the ideal candidate that we're looking for. To fill the, the help with this rebuild that we would ideally want may not be available depending on where we land. Well, just looking at tankathon.com, and Josh, I know you were on the ESPN site, mm-hmm. and Tankathon, they sim their draft lottery by team need. And not every team drafts that way. We know the Sixers always drafted right. the best player available in the past. But they have Zion going one to the Knicks, RJ Barrett going number two to the Cavs, and then Ja going to the Suns number three, and Culver number four. A lot of people who I talk to who do follow draft, if not college basketball, like Jarrett Culver. Mm-hmm. Um, they like his, I think they just like his size and his rangeness and his ability to and he, shoot. Yeah, and, he was, and putting up some bu- he was putting up some buckets in that in that tournament too. Right. In, in was, that championship game. And there was, was a small there. sample size. I saw yeah. I wasn't impressed in terms of just his ability to create his own shot at any given time. But he, like the rest of that team, was very hungry on defense. I always love to see that. That's something that the Bulls just – by their history, have always liked. They've always liked having. They've always been successful right. when they've had tenacious perimeter defenders. I'll say that much. Now, there could be any number of ways. Kobe White is a player you mentioned that I really like. I love the way he led that North Carolina team, and he's a combo guard, and he can shoot. He can shoot from the outside very well, and he can create his own shot. He has enough of a handle to do that. He's a smaller player, which is kind of difficult to to manage a smaller. A smaller one, even a, like a two guard combo guard in this NBA, but he's a guy that they that that would help them, I think. But from and this, I'm a casual draft analysis person. Play people seem to be very high on what Jared Culver could do. Ryan, I saw you shaking your head. So if you <laughs> if you know more than me, I'm not disputing no, it at all. No, I, I just I'm not draft analyst at all but what I saw from the tournament I just did not like his overall game I felt like you want to see an impact from these type of guys you saw Moran make an impact you saw Williamson make an impact Barrett make an impact I just never felt like Culver made the big impact even in some of those games uh, I think it was against Virginia even when they were slow starting. They needed Francis hitting some big threes was, to get them the going. Thing. It was mm-hmm. like Francis and Mooney were the guys hitting right. shots for them. And, and I'm glad you Colbert. brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up because um, early on the Dean Davis show, when uh, when you when you specifically, Ryan, asked me about my viewpoint on Jerry Colbert, I said he is the, old, he is the college version of Paul George. Reason why I said that was because he has a, he has a unique skill set. Where, like you, like you mentioned, from a defensive standpoint, he can be a monster defensively with using his length, mm-hmm. and size, and, and his uh, versatility to guard multiple positions. Right. Offensively, he has a he has an <laughs> offensive skill set. He can create his own shot, and when needed, he can make buckets down the stretch when needed. But he's inconsistent. That that was the thing with Paul George from a question mark standpoint when he was getting drafted. They did not know how consistent he can be especially on the offensive end, 
to get you to get be that impact player that they need. Now, obviously, over time, it seems like that narrative obviously paid off, and he's doing big things in Oklahoma City right now. Right. But Jared Col—that's that was the question mark with Jared Colbert. He has the skill set, he has the talent, but is he going to be able to give it to you for a full forty, a full forty-eight minutes now in the NBA? Because he couldn't do a full forty minutes in college. So that's the thing. If you were, and if you're the Bulls and you're trying under a Jim Boylan type of system where defensively it's hell for forty-eight minutes, right? And you trying to, you need to bring in someone that can give you that and still develop on the offensive end, which the Bulls haven't really been able to do. So, I like the idea, but can it actually come to fruition that the way the Bulls need it to be done? I don't trust that. And you need the Bulls to develop that player, in a sense, to become that Paul George. I think the other thing, like, what I would be looking for, because I like Kobe White, too. Uh, if I'm the Bulls, the biggest thing I'm looking for, if I'm number four, playmaking. Who is the best playmaker out there? Because I don't know if they have enough playmakers on the roster. Like, I've heard a lot of people say that the Bulls should try to get Morant instead of Williamson, and I can see the argument, you know, he fits, it makes everything better, but I think one of Williamson's most underrated qualities is he is a good passer, and he's a playmaker, and he played with those three other egos in Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett, and he was really the glue of that entire team. That's what I think the Bulls need. They need more of the playmaking type, the guys that can create for others, and ideally that would be a point guard. But if you don't have that guy there, I would be looking who is the biggest ceiling that I feel confident in. If the Bulls ended up with the number four pick, me personally, I would try to trade it because, like you said, we need point guards. and You need a scoring threat to go next to Zach Levine. You already have Laurie Marketing, who's your number two guy. I know some people want him to be the number one, but he's just not that way. Everybody's not built that way. My question is, that you alluded to earlier, Josh, do I trust this management to make the right decisions if they decide to trade that number four pick? Let's be honest. We all thought coming into this draft, it's a two-player, and now with R.J. Barry and it makes a three-player draft. If you've flown it out there, assuming that you have the number four pick, which team or teams are really interested in that pick? Or are you going to get the right offer? And number two, do you trust this management to make the right decision? That's the only thing that's holding me back. Yeah, I don't – that's the thing. With guard packs, I feel like over time, from a draft from a draft standpoint, they may have got they got they got lucky a lot they got lucky more than actual precise from a from a scouting and drafting aspect. No one knew Jimmy Butler was going to be Jimmy Butler when they when they drafted him. I mean, yeah, there's there's some luck to that, but like I said, there's some luck, and I think they got lucky because normally in trades we're horrible with trades, and we <laughs> but we were able to make the tra- the Jimmy Butler trade that we made to get Larry Marketing. Which was underrated at the time. So, I just feel like recently we got a lot of luck, and and they, from from a precise management standpoint, I don't know if they'll be like to Sid's point. I don't know if they'll be able to do it or pull that off. And and trades are always tricky because mm-hmm. there's no. I don't think that there's a way to trade up if you do get the number four pick. Cleveland's locked into number two, and they're going to get a, a a generational type player at number two, considering how. Morant shot up draft boards, and Williamson is just Williamson. So there's no way that they would trade the number two pick. The the Knicks, if they get number one, being the Knicks, they might do. They might be relied on to do something outside the box in a very nice way of putting it. Ridiculous would be another way of putting it, but you <laughs> might be able to finesse the Knicks. But I, I can't see them trading up, and the Suns are really the, the Suns really are trying to build. So even then. I don't think they would get something out of the three. So if you trade the pick, you're trading for players and another pick in the first round. But I, I, what else? What is that really? What player? What team would be willing to give you either a, either a playmaker, Ryan, as you said, or a specific an actual point guard and another pick? Dare I say this one possible option, which I did write and cover for listen, in the Scope podcast. Listen to the man. Dare I say, if Kyrie does go to the Brooklyn Nets and the Nets put D'Angelo Russell on the trade block, we go for it? Because I, I feel like he will be that point guard that can take us to that level. And he's gr- he's grown and mature. He's grown and matured to where now he's an all-star. But that brings the end. Not to mention, he's still technically on a rookie deal. So 
You can sign them and get them for a cheaper price, extend them. Now you're talking about now you got your secured long-term point guard to go with a secured backcourt. With a, but that's the thing. You already got a lot of money swallowed up, and he's an all-star. How much do you have to give up to get him? That's that's not a bad idea. Like you said, he's the point guard of the future. He's still young enough, like you said, to get that next contract to set him up for his future. But so here's the thing, looking at it from the outset, the Bulls really don't have too many trade assets. You really have Laurie Marketing and Zach Levine. Do, do other pick. do other teams? It's just, it's, well, do other teams want your other players? Okay, maybe Otto Porter Jr., but he may be packaging a deal of on sorts with those other two players I just mentioned. But who do you really have on the Bulls roster that you could trade straight up and say, "I want that guy"? Outside of marketing in Levine, no one. But that's a, but that's a good point that Ryan mentioned too. We got a four, we got if we we got a top four pick, and within that top four pick, the Nets can get they need they need extra big men. Yeah, mm-hmm. you got a Rui Hachimura, who's yeah. a very solid top center p- pick that can be very valuable with that Brooklyn Nets team. So I'm just saying, if you really cater by need, especially within the draft, you may have the Brooklyn Nets on the line saying, "Hey, we need some big man help." If we got if we got Kyrie and possibly a Jimmy Butler coming to Brooklyn because we got two max slots, or a Kyrie and KD possibly coming because we got because of those because of that money, we need some big man help. Jared Allen can't do it on his own. Mm-hmm. What if I trade you, D'Angelo Russell, a point guard that y'all need, and y'all already got a lot of big men? We'll take. Uh, just, you can just give us one of y'all. Uh, give us a top four pick, and maybe one of y'all. Pick, one of y'all big men, like a, maybe Wendell or something like that. If I'm if I'm the Bulls, there's no way I'm trading anything but that pick, and I want a pick back. At least I'll take I'll take D'Angelo Russell for sure. Mm-hmm. He was a good player. He was a good player to me in Los Angeles. They just ran him out because of other stuff. Right, but he's blossomed in in Brooklyn. So I would take Russell. They they should have kept Dinwiddie, but that's a story for another time. Oh, but I man. would take Russell, <laughs> man. And I the Nets have two late round picks. They've got seventeen and twenty seven. So you can get something at seventeen, even in a weaker draft. And the way the Bulls have drafted, they found good stuff in the later rounds. Yeah. So you could get something at twenty seven, even. But I'm taking D'Angelo Russell and a first round pick this year. I don't know if they'll be savvy enough to, to finagle that trade. But, Josh, the, if, if Brooklyn's a team that they can trade with, then I would love to see them try it. At least call them. Right, definitely. So, that being said, you are actually, uh, you guys are here listening to Running With War podcast live at the 670 The Score. Now, High Riser had a heck of a view. Nothing but black buildings. We got the train rolling by. We got by. the train rolling by. We got, we, we live, we're doing I it do, large over here, man. I do feel like, <laughs> I was like, I'm up in the, I was like, man, I made it. <laughs> Is that here in Washington? Mama, right we made it. Mama, we made it. Uh, we're going to transition to some NBA talk, especially more specifically with the Lakers. Lord have mercy. It's, it was, you could, you, when Magic Johnson came into the show and then you got LeBron this offseason, everybody thought the Lakers were going to be a Western Conference Finals team or they're at least going to make the playoffs, give whomever they play a run for their money. But it's been a disastrous year. LeBron gets hurt. Everybody get hurt. Anthony Davis trade rumors gone wrong. And then, out of the blue, Magic Johnson said, you know what, I just want to be Magic outside of the Lakers office. And um, I just want to make money instead of trying to fire people. So... Now we're in a position where they ain't got no president. LeBron is already going emo- probably emotionally all over the place. We're trying to figure out what's going on with this franchise. You got dysfunction all over the place. They still treat, and quite frankly, dare I say, the, they're following the same stuff as the Bulls. <laughs> Mom's pop shop. Like, it's crazy. And with that, all this stuff going on, not to mention, now you fired Luke Walton, who you didn't want to fire. Well, you, you quit, Magic quit this job, so he didn't have to fire Luke Walton. So Genie can be happy, but then you end up letting him go anyways. And then literally a day later, the man gets uh, a contract with the, uh, with the uh, Sacramento Kings. Yes, you heard it here, heard it here first, breaking news. <laughs> Luke Walton has signed his deal and agreed to wow. be the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. Talking, Shout about, out. talking about a man with plug. You get it. <laughs> You literally get fired, and then the next day, oh, don't worry about it. I got another job. And Check. only like a few hours Just go away. up north. Just go yep. up north. So, with that being said, Lakers ain't got no coach. They have no president operations. 
and Jeannie is letting Rapolinka basically run everything, including this coaching search, which doesn't make any sense to me because if you if I'm if I'm the Lakers, oftentimes the president of basketball operations is gonna want to have his people running the show. If you hire a president of operations that does not like, like Rob, he's going to let Rob go. But Rob is the one basically going out to hire the coach that he wants because he thinks that's what's best. And technically, we don't even know if he's going to be around. <laughs> like, this stuff does not make sense to me. And not to mention all of this stuff going on. You got the NBA draft lottery in, in, within, within another month. You got the draft in two months, and dare I say free agency, where you get all these free agents, and this is the year that LeBron's supposed to get at least somebody to go team up with him. And if that doesn't happen, all hell's going to break loose. LeBron is is in a weird spot in his career right now, and not just because of of the fact that I think he disrupts the ecosystem of a team. He's not old. He's not old. He is, he is playing in an era where you can, you can condition and rehab and reset your body to where you can play at a high level so much further. I mean, look at Kobe. If Kobe hadn't had the, the injuries with his finger and with his, with his ankle, he, played, he probably could have played more years effectively than he did. And he played until he was, it was 20 years in. But it seems like, especially after this year with the Lakers, this was a bad look. Because it was supposed to be LeBron goes to a team, that team gets better. The Lakers got better by two games. That's it. And even even in the West, which is always competitive, nine games separated first and eighth. And eighth won 48th. You need to win more than 45 games in the West to have a shot at the playoffs. That's consistent. And LeBron did not have that effect on the Lakers at all. So now there's a lot of question marks, not, about, not just about the Lakers, about their coach, about the director of basketball operations, about what direction they want to take their team. And there's questions about LeBron. There's questions about what he can do as a player. It was supposed to be that not only does he make the team better, he makes players better. Kyle Kuzma was supposed to make a jump this year. Brandon Ingram was supposed to make a jump this year because being in that aura, just, just being in LeBron's aura was supposed to help make them better. He was supposed to help get them more shots where they would be more open, and none of that materialized. Those guys were worse. Those guys were offensively worse this year. The only guy that I think was somewhat better was Contavious Caldwell-Pope, the dude that will always play 42 minutes and somehow never never get run into the ground. But there's a lot of questions about what LeBron can do, and he has to answer those coming into next year. And it's not, he's not at Carmelo's stage yet where he needs to just be a role player. Far from it. But he has to answer those questions of how can he most effectively be a part of a team structure. And I don't know if that's something that he can do because LeBron, for better or worse, is going to always be on a team where he's not only going to be the focal point, he's going to have a lot of say in how the roster is constructed. And we saw it in Cleveland. We saw it in Miami. He wants to have guys around him that he's cool with. And there's nothing wrong with playing with guys that you're good friends with or that you can get along with. But it doesn't always work. It didn't work this time around. And I, I don't know what they're going to be able to do next year. It's gonna de- he's going to have to take, a, to, in my opinion, he's going to have to take a backseat on a lot of the say on who gets to play on the team. So you basically telling me that LeBron was cool with Lance Stevenson? Because uh, Lance Stevenson was blowing the mirrors, boy. <laughs> <laughs> You was blowing all of all of it no mirrors all them years. So <laughs> not, I'm just saying, Lance, not, Lance notwithstanding, <laughs> Lance, Lance notwithstanding. Man, look, I'm just gonna be completely honest here. I think the Lakers' issues stemmed from when first Magic first stepped into this office role. I'm talking two years ago, at least, when they traded D'Angelo Russell to draft Lonzo. Bad move. When they could have re-signed Julius Randle to fit the style of offense that Magic Johnson wanted, didn't. Killed him. They could have, they could have had a chance to re-sign Brooke Lopez, a, stre- a center that was very valuable can still, and was shooting the three. When he was in L.A. When he was in L.A., effectively. Didn't do it. 
on top of all of that, you bring in a roster that's fit for Showtime, but I think he forgot that even in Showtime he had shooters. <laughs> I mean, Byron Scott and Michael Cooper shot over 35% from the field mm-hmm. as shooters on that team all the, and, all, and all the championship runs. They had some shooters. And not to mention, it is a different game today. Where if you want to do the type of style, style offense which the league is transitioning back to, you got to have some shooters to go along with that. And I mean more than just two. Because besides outside of, outside of Casavis call with Pope, I don't think any one of them shot more than th- 20, over 20, maybe 30% from three. Reggie, Reggie Bullock? Maybe? Reggie Bullock, maybe. And they got him late in the season. Right. Mm-hmm. And they the sad part is a lot of the guys they signed, you weren't expecting to come anywhere close to 40% from three-point <laughs> range. Right. Mm-hmm. So... From a roster standpoint, and him being one of the focal point leaders of doing of creating this roster was sketchy. You got to question it, and you kind of got to question LeBron a little bit as well because even though he is getting older, maybe they thought that he's still so good that he can carry whomever that's on that team and take them wherever they got to go. You got to remember half of his for at least a couple of his championships that championship runs that he's made. He didn't have nobody. It was just him. Yeah. It was just him. <laughs> and he still went to the still went to the NBA Finals. So, especially most recently last year. So, that being said, they probably I don't know if they thought that, hey, LeBron, you you basically Jesus on the court. We're gonna put you in a roster with all these non-shooters, <laughs> and we're gonna run up and down the court. You're gonna be basically me on the court, creating for everybody else while you getting yours, and we're gonna be good. Here's the thing, though. The way that roster was constructed last summer, LeBron had to sign off almost all those. That's the thing. Uh, all those uh, free agents that were on one-year contracts, like JaVale McGinn, uh, and Contavious Caldwell being re-signed, and Lance Stevenson, Rajon Rondo. Here's the thing. They were trying to out-warrior the Warriors. It's like, no, we can't do that. So let's go opposite and play hard-nosed defense. Let's be honest. Most of those players at the twilight of their careers – and like you said, LeBron James had to carry the uh, had to carry the team. If you notice, if you watch those games closely in October, early in the season, it was at times that LeBron James wanted to take over. But if you really paid attention closely, especially that opening night game at Portland, when he gave the ball to Kuzma and to all the other guys that were open, he was telling them, "I'm not doing what I did in Cleveland last year. You take the open shot, damn it! If if you don't take the open shot, you're not getting the ball again." Yeah, that, and that, that's a very good point. But I feel like they made Cleveland, Cleveland in L.A. again. Yeah, I really feel, and <laughs> and and like you said, he wasn't trying to be that guy. Mm-hmm. But when you have young players that haven't grown into the roles that you need them to be, and you playing with a guy like LeBron James, that takes all your ideas out the window for rebuild, and the, and the timeline of that rebuild. It changes the whole dynamic of everything. And it's done to growth of the key young players that you were looking at, like Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram. Let's be honest here. Even though both of them were injured at various points of the season, Brandon Ingram stepped up after the All-Star break. Kyle Kuzma was on his way to a good year. He got injured during these last few weeks of the season. So that's another problem right there. Right, and you An get- insult to injury, Brandon Ingram with those blood clots too. That's- yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah, that be, is tough. Yeah, that's real tough. You got to uh, just make sure keep them up in right. In prayers and everything. That's that's really serious. Yeah, that's really that's that's literally Chris Bosh like. Right. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to those type of those as much of as Chris lines. wanted to come back, you you he just could. can't do it. Just can't. Right. Yeah. So it's so we definitely got to keep them uplifted for sure. But it's a multi. I think this was a multi layered issue that over time blew up in everybody's faces. And it just happened that LeBron's now here in the mix of it. That being said, they got a chance to redeem themselves. If Jeannie plays this right, they can have the chance to put the right guys in the president as the president president of basketball operations, and depending on who that guy is, a new GM potentially, and you got the right coach, and you can get a right coach that can be what you need, especially when it comes to free agency. To possibly bring other people to come play with play with Le, uh, play with LeBron in LA. Who do you think should be should be the ideal candidates for these positions? We're gonna start with president operations. 
Well, people bandy Jerry West's name about, and he's probably the best option, but... I don't see him leaving. Right. I don't mm-hmm. see him leaving the Clippers. He he he's there. He he seems to want to be there. And he's an older dude now. I mean, I, how much longer does he want to do that particular job? Yeah, he's eighty-one years old. He's like, in the how, how much longer does he? He's, he's not even collecting NBA checks. He's collecting Microsoft checks. Oh, he yeah. like <laughs> he's still collecting up Steve Ballmer checks. I don't think he wants to leave any of that. And just I mean, like he's he's done he's done this for teams already. He did it for the Lakers. He did it for the Grizzlies. We know that Jerry West knows what he's doing in terms of organizational direction, construction. But does he want to go into this kind of a mess? I don't know. So in, in, in terms of executive, hiring an executive for that position, I don't know where you are. John Hollinger's not the guy, obviously. They, they're reducing his role in Memphis. They didn't, they didn't get what they wanted from him, so... Analytically, I don't know if you go with one of those people. That's that's not something that I have enough knowledge to say. Here's who you hire for that. Even on the coaching side, there's a lot of the typical names that get bandied about. Now the guys are hired. Now the guys have been let go. Dave Yeager's on the market. Alvin Gentry's on the market. Lionel Holland still doesn't have a job. But do you want any of those guys? Toronto's done a lot with Nick Nurse, and Nick Nurse wasn't really a known name. Until for for casual NBA fans until last year when Dwayne Casey was let go, look maybe you look for a person who's been an assistant for a few years, either on a solid team or that just has a reputation, and go ahead and get them. Right. I mean, according to reports, um, I'm I'm blanking these guys' names. Oh, Ty Lue, obviously Ty Lue mm-hmm. been with LeBron, mm-hmm. LeBron guy, and Monty Williams is a name that has popped up for a potential, you know, the job as a Lakers coach, too, which I, I, I'm not against because he's definitely been one of those guys that has a good relationship with players, including LeBron. And, and, including and Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis, too. <laughs> so it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a good idea. And he hasn't had a real coaching opportunity like that probably since that tragic right. family situation with him. In so New Orleans, yeah. in New Orleans. So... Um, he has a, so I think that's a good opportunity too. But I say before you go even any of that, you got to get the right guy to run your office. You got to get the right person to run your office. You have a good, strong person that can run your office. Everything else trickles down. Mm-hmm. Everything else will follow. And dare I say, I, I I came out and said before, I I think a person that they should really consider, even though I know they probably won't, is Joe Dumars, um, from the from the Detroit Pistons era because he no he created a roster. That was successful, and they brought a championship. One of the only few teams that were able to win a championship without a real superstar. So he knows what it's like to develop talent to where you could win a championship. But he hasn't been working for a while. You know, he's not. He's been a little out of the game, out of the league. So maybe you don't go after a guy like that. A lot of names that are different names that popped up is Daryl Morey of the Houston Rockets. So you do you persuade him to leave, which would be an ideal situation. You got Bob Myers, possibly, from the Golden State Warriors. Or dare I say this? John Paxson. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for it. (laughs) Oh, man, John, you can definitely take your stuff to uh, to the Lakers. We'll be all right. But (laughs) dare I say maybe Kobe Bryant? No, don't do that. Don't do the the Marlins thing and hire the the old old player. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, but... I don't think Kobe has any want for that job. That's the thing. I don't think he has any want for it, but from an overall standpoint, considering what the job has to entail, he might be a good he might be a good fit. I don't know. His basketball IQ is second to none, but like Ryan said, does he really want to commit to doing this job? You just got rid of a person in Magic Johnson that really he was really hired as an ambassador that got put in that position that really didn't want to right. do the work. Do you want to go through that again with Kobe Bryant? He is a smart man, just like Matthew Johnson. But if you uh, if you go in that route of Kobe Bryant, is he really wanted to take the time and the commitment to do that? I'm sure with his work that ethic from the court, he would. But right now, he's enjoying raising both of his daughters, so I don't know if he wants to do it at this time. Right. Plus, I don't know that I don't know how that job matches up for what we know about what made Kobe great, which was a fanatical drive to be successful. Now. On the court, that was working in the gym, mm-hmm. but in this, it, it's different. It's you—you you have to be able to discern talent and hire correctly, and not to say that Kobe can't discern talent, but 
I mean, look at Mike. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Big Brother Mike is out here struggling in Charlotte. And those are the same. Those guys, those guys have the same competitive drive. Right. But they, Mike's Mike's flaw is that he likes players who remind him of himself. Right. A lot. Right. The Hornets just barely missed the playoffs, so he's getting he's doing some things better. And they got to resign Kemba though. Yeah. And that's <laughs> even though it's likely, it's still that's up in the air too. But I don't I don't know if I don't know if Kobe being that same type of person is fit for that kind of job. Right. And. Even from a coaching standpoint, obviously I like Ty Lue. I mean, Ty Lue understand, knows what it's like to be with LeBron. Monty Williams definitely deserves some type of coaching gig because he, he knows how to work with players for sure. But I want Mark Jackson. I want Mark Jackson to leave the ESPN who, who else? Who else? to come back and lead some team <laughs> to the playoffs. If you... I want Mark Jackson. He got screwed in the Golden State, okay? <laughs> I didn't like how he that went down. Even though obviously it worked out for them in the end, and Steve Kerr came out and did his thing, but Mark Jackson, man, I feel like he'll be a legit coach that people can actually that you know LeBron LeBron respects a guy like him. Yeah, I was gonna say LeBron, Mark. LeBron he respects a guy like that. I don't know, but if, that's just me. If you guys paid attention to that exchange during that Boston Lakers game, I want to say a couple months ago when Jeff Van Gundy brought up the possible trade. If the Lakers should uh, consider trading LeBron. Mark Jackson, if you paid attention to it closely, uh, didn't defend Jeff Van Gundy very well because uh, he said, you know, you, you can build around – I'm just paraphrasing here. Mm-hmm. You can build a, around LeBron, just get that next star and blah, blah, blah. I didn't know this until I was listening to a national show. I won't get in trouble, Cal, to uh, free advertise other people's shows. But, um, <laughs> but I was listening to a national show. I didn't know this. Maybe you guys – Knew about this, maybe you didn't, but uh, Mark Jackson's with Clutch Sports, so I said, "Hmm, now I know why he's he said what he said during that broadcast that night and what he's, he's been saying during the Lakers broadcast all season long." So I said, "Hmm, okay, put two and two together, it makes perfect sense." Now going back to Ty Lue, he may be the fit on paper for LeBron, but remember what happened to him last year? He went through a health crisis. Mm-hmm. Can you guarantee me that that won't happen again? Because not to be facetious, but they damn near killed him last year. Yeah. And I think the Lakers also got to think about this, too, is you're thinking short term now. So mm-hmm. if you have if you bring someone in just for LeBron, when LeBron's gone, who's your guy? Exactly. Like, do you sign him? Because no signs out of ten, whoever coach you bring, you sign him to at least a four or five year type of deal. I, LeBron may not be around, depending on how, if it's health and stay up exactly. for four or five years. Well, you know what you should do. Take it back to what it needs to be, and just have LeBron play a coach. <laughs> He's been doing it anyway. Matter of fact, just give him the president job. He said, "I'll be the, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll be the president. I'll put the roster together, and I'm going to coach." Pull a Stan Van Gundy on him, bro. The, Go like, ahead. Um, <laughs> Simmons, Bill Simmons is not the he's he's not the the most infallible guy anymore, but I do still see his logic for having a player coach. There's there's not that much that you need to analytically sure you can have assistance on the bench, but there's really not that much that a head coach needs to do. I still think in this NBA where a player can't do it, you can you can just do it. If I mean, you LeBron, have Benny Del Negro running teams, since, yeah, you Le- can have LeBron running the team. LeBron has done it ever since. What David Mi- Blatt at least Miami mm-hmm. at least at least or yeah he could have he had a little bit of Miami Spolster Spolster is Spolster he tried to get him out of there was the guy he's a little bit he tried to get him out of there yeah, yeah right. but Pat Riley he, said no and that was and that's mm-hmm. and that's why LeBron Pat Riley's a damn genius exactly mm-hmm. that's why LeBron he, needed a Pat Riley yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> because well, he, you have to understand that Spolster was the guy who needed to it wasn't just you right it was Norris Cole and Mario Chalmers and guys who needed a coach. Right, mm-hmm. and not to mention Pat Riley. It's amazing how it pops up on the screen saying that he ain't going to the Lakers. He's going to finish with the Heat. That being said, I hope the Lakers do well and actually get this thing right. I don't. F the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> he said, F the Lakers. We a bull city around Chris, here, Chris, I'm, I'm not how against that at all. How dare <laughs> you? New York, L.A., I'm sick of that. How dare you? You it's the Midwest it. out here, Josh. I, I, I know. I'm sorry, but I can't help it. I love, I love, I love the warm heat and the palm trees, baby. That being said, <laughs> you are hearing... You are here live, uh, tuning in to six seven, uh, recording live here at six seventy to score. Running with War podcast with the guys Chris Pennant, Ryan Bukovetsky. Ooh, I'm killing it again. D, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm a, on I'm a, fire. I'm a tweet D right and now. And Sid the Kid Brown, we are here. I am 
the host of this special edition of Running With uh, Wolf. Subscribe, and you will not miss it. But you thought this was funny. Oh, well, listen to them, guys. They're going to they definitely uh, make sure you guys have a good, show you a good time. That And follow us on WeAreWeGoRadio.com. We got a lot of great stuff coming up. I got my own personal In The Scope podcast and column. Chris got his uh, Bullets on the Block column. Uh, champagne or campaign. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming for the summer. It's, it's a, a lot of stuff coming on for the show. Ryan got his got his N- N- NFL draft uh, NFL stuff coming on. Sid got his uh, Black Hawks column. And you got the White Sox stuff too, right, Sid? And White yeah, Sox we're working stuff on too. something special too, so yes, I'm that's coming up soon. Yeah, right. that's what I'm saying. We got a lot of good things going on. We got Chicago on. sports fans covered and national fans. Exactly. Whatever league, whatever you got. Exactly, man. You don't want to miss out because uh, We Are Rigoretto got a lot mm-hmm. of stuff for you guys. And just because... He's just a special of a guy. Shout out to the man, Tony Gill. Yes. Shout out to the man, Tony Gill. He's doing great things, covering the Bulls for, for 670 to score, being a producer of Lawrence Holmes' show you could check out at, at noon. And on top of all that, the No Zones podcast, the No Zones Bulls podcast, you can get also at 670 to score and on 670 to score um, 